Coming off the success of Dune 2, Westwood Studios wanted to make the ultimate real-time strategy game using their own intellectual property. Their next game, released for DOS computers in September of 1995, became the net result of everything that they could not squeeze into Dune. Their wishlist became Command and & Conquer, and it laid the groundwork for a series that has existed for the past 27 years. Today we're going to look back at the creation of Command & Conquer, as it defined an entire genre, as a game whose framework is still found in video games today. Where did it come from, and why Command & Conquer? We'll learn this and more, so stick around and join us on today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and or good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 109th episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week, we tell you the story about one game relevant to the current week in gaming history. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, something new about the people who made the game, what they took from the world as their inspiration, or what the game gave back to the world in its legacy. This week, we are looking back at the original, the OG Command & Conquer, originally released for DOS. We don't talk about DOS very often, so that's fun, on September 26, 1995. I'm David Casson, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, the leader of the Brotherhood of Dabs. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what's the Brotherhood's mission exactly? Well, Dave... That's a great question. No dab too big, no dab too small. A dab for one, and a dab for all. I can't, I can't beat that. That's, um, that's a, that's a solid mission there, actually. Indeed it is, Dave. That's a very, very solid mission. Indeed. A noble one, indeed. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, let's jump right into it. What you been playing? Well, Dave, this week I played a little bit of Jurassic World Evolution 2. Evolution Dose! Yeah. With the, dra uh, with the dragons. With the dragons, right? Yeah, the dragons. Sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah, with the dragons. With the, with the dinosaurs running all over the world. Got it. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool so far. Yeah. Uh, and then a uh, smidgen of Rocket League. But other than that, it's been a pretty light week. How about yeah. yourself? Same. I've played some Rocket League. I dabbled a little bit in uh, Command & Conquer, the remaster. It's on Game Pass if anyone wants to play it. Uh, well, EA Play, but you have access to that through Game Pass. And I played some of Deathloop, which was another, it's another Game Pass game that was released on Game Pass last week. It's been out for a while, but they brought it to Game Pass last week, so Deathloop. That's, and that's it. That'll do it. Um... That'll do. That'll do. That'll do, Donkey. That'll do. So, Command & Conquer, Rob. I Have you ever played the original? I have, although it has been quite a while. Do you... Are you sure you've played the original? I mean, you know what? No. No, it was Red Alert was the one that I did. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Red Alert, I think, was the more popular... I mean, that was 
that was the one you would have been exposed to around me and my friends. So yeah, Red Alert was the one. So I don't know. No, I've actually never played the original Command and Conquer. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Well, let's take a look at Command and Conquer. The story of Command and Conquer goes all the way back to 1985. Brett Sperry and Lewis Castle founded Brellis Software out of a suburban Las Vegas garage. I assume it's one of their garages. And I don't know. I think it was middle of 1985. A few months later, they changed its name to Westwood Associates. Westwood Associates' first game was Donald's Alphabet Chase, which was released for the Amiga and Apple II in 1988. It was an educational game starring none other than Donald and Duck. Fun with Letters was written on its packaging. Was this, like, associated with Disney? Yes. Okay. Because yes. I was going to say, like, that'd be pretty bold to do Donald Duck without having the rights. I was trying to see where the connection was there. No, it, it was a licensed, uh, it was a licensed title. The Westwood Associates Library has a bunch of notable games. They're, they're pretty much all licensed titles. Not all, but they're licensed titles. They did some Battletech games that, of course, Battletech is a licensed, licensed, uh, whatever, franchise. Blackjack Academy, they did a game called Mars Saga, they did a Nightmare on Elm Street game that's of course licensed. Nice. There was a game called Circuit's Edge, there was a game called Dragon Strike. Uh, Admittedly, the most notable game that the Westwood Associates Library has in it is a game called Eye of the Beholder. Now, Eye of the Beholder was a 1991 role-playing game developed by Westwood and published by uh, SSI Strategic Systems Initiative initiates uh, i don't know it was a dungeons and dragons game um i the beholder is, a, is part of the dungeons and dragons universe westwood associates was becoming more and more popular they were making decent games and i the beholder kind of pushed them in the spotlight it was i mean i remember it i mean I, I, it was a web did we just talked about what did we talk about recently that was a um dungeon crawler uh crap i should know we did a whole episode on dungeons and dragons as it gave way to what not ultima the other one right i'm gonna let you dig yourself out of this one dave you put yourself there wait wait the two granddaddies of the role-playing genre were ultima and oh no don't tell me we did wizardry lately. Ah, we did wizardry, wizardry. Ultima, Ultima, and wizardry. There you go, Dave. So it was a web web crawler, no dungeon crawler, web crawler. What the hell am I talking about? <laughs> it was <laughs> Spidey. It was a dungeon crawler that was designed pretty much like wizardry was, but set in you know this actual Dungeon Dragon universe. So. Um, shortly after I the Beholder, uh, the Westwood Associates, they changed their name to Westwood Studios. They made the name change because they wanted to better reflect what they called a studio-like experience that they were trying to present to both the companies they were making content for and the players that were playing their games. Um, Westwood Studios' first piece of software was a 
2D point and click adventure called The Legend of Corandia. It was also a commercial success. And uh, then came Dune 2. Now, Dune obviously is a licensed franchise. Uh, and look, we're going to visit Dune 2. It's a very significant game in the history of the genre that we're in, which is real time strategy. And as such, it deserves its own episode and playthrough. I believe I have it scheduled for December. Actually, no, it's scheduled for the rest, you know, at some point this year. I believe it's in December. But what you need to know for, or, you know, for this episode, for where we're at in this story, is that Dune 2 is pretty much the template for most real time strategy games as we know them today. It is pretty much the game that defines the, like, you know, unit management, resource management, and so on and so forth. Now we're going to go into all that detail in detail and talk about where they got their inspiration from and all that in the Dune 2 episode, excuse me, in the Dune 2 episode. But what you, like I said, what you need to know for now is that, you know, Dune 2, that's where it all started. And this was the team, you know, they made Dune 2, Command and Conquer, essentially, according to Brett Sperry, you know, who was the executive director on these games, it was the net result of the Dune 2 wish list. So all the, the features that they wanted to put in Dune 2 that they just couldn't fit because of time or because they couldn't figure out how to do it technologically at the time, any number of reasons, all the stuff they wanted to achieve and couldn't achieve in Dune 2 that's what Command and Conquer is. And after the success of Dune 2, that team wanted to build what they called the ultimate RTS, uh, real-time strategy, using an original intellectual property. You know, they, they had made their game using the Dune property, and now they wanted to take it and improve on it and make a better version of it, but set in their own world so they could be, you know, have their own flat creativity. Now, Dune was set in a sci-fi world. If you don't know what Dune is, if you know, I go watch the movie that came out recently. It's it was a good movie. Did you see Dune, Rob? I actually have not yet, Dave. No, uh, it was it was a good movie. Dune set in a sci-fi world, a, a alien planet full of sand, where everyone fights over a resource called spice. Aside from that, the Westwood team had obviously had some experience with Dungeons and Dragons universe and Eye of the Beholder. So they were kind of familiar with these fantasy concepts, right? Sci-fi and fantasy there. So in 1993, when they decided to start development on Command and Conquer, according to Westwood's, West, Westwood's other founder, Lewis Castle, it was originally planned to be a fantasy game with Wizards and Warriors. Now, it would have been developed alongside Warcraft. They wouldn't have obviously known that Warcraft, uh, which was the other significant RTS in the genre, was being developed. But, you know, had they gone with the route of Wizards and Warriors, then you would have had a fantasy of whatever Westwood came out with put up against Blizzard's fantasy real-time strategy in Warcraft. And that would have been a, a, a fun alternate history for this. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And since alternate history is what they ended up going with, I think that's something fun to give some consideration to. Um, 
but they didn't go with fantasy, not in any way, shape, or form. As they talked about it, Brett Sperry felt that a contemporary war environment would be more accessible to most people. And so the game was moved into a modern warfare frame. You know, it was super easy for the development team to find inspiration uh, around them because war was everywhere. And therefore, they also felt that people were going to be able to relate to it and connect to it better. I don't know if that's how I want to put it. It's not fair or I I wouldn't say fair is the word I'm looking for. I don't relish the thought of people being able to connect to a video game because war is everywhere. But I guess that's the reality of the world we live in even now. You know what I mean? No, I definitely agree to that. It's kind of hard to avoid it. This was back in 94. So the Gulf War had ended in 1991. And it was not... uh, The the outcome was not ideal. Um, You know... Saddam Hussein which the world had pretty much not I mean we now know because he was deposed and everything the depravity of the situation but even back then after the Gulf War ended and he was still in power you know people weren't happy that that was the end result of the Gulf War there wasn't a good resolution and in the unrest of politically what happened there in the Mideast and elsewhere with the countries like the United States that joined the Gulf War not necessarily join the Gulf War, but kind of like what's going on in Ukraine now that, you know, where other countries were helping. There was just people were unhappy. And again, like we are right now, the threat of terrorism was just a reality absolutely everywhere after the Gulf War. I mean, it, it, history might as well repeat itself. And in this worldview, in this with this notion in mind came the idea of an alternate reality where this was, where this was lived out more distinctly, but with fictional countries. Um, You know, that's what command and conquer the plot command and conquer is. It takes place in an alternate reality where it's not countries, modern countries that we know are playing out, but you know, uh, factions, the Brotherhood of Nod and the GDI, the Global Defense Initiative, are the two factions. Uh, basically, countries as we know it broke up and what was left turned into these factions, and now they fight over resources. Um, but this this concept of modern warfare helped the art design team, too. You know, uh, when they had made Dune 2, they had you know, something to work with the sci-fi to work with, but the world of Dune is a bunch of sand and the ships are sci-fi. They're very pointy, awkward ships. And so when you switch into a uh, uh, modern warfare, it, you, you get very boxy, but clean lines. Like a tank is more square than a pointy ship, for instance, you know, it simplified things for the, the art team to, to be able to work on their stuff. Now, like I said, Dune 2, was based on the dune universe where everyone was fighting over spice and that was kind of one of the the things that dune brought to the real-time strategy genre was resource management and so the team at westwood was looking for another resource that would be central to this game a resource that would drive you know unit unit and building and that that teams could fight for because in the in the 
you know, this this specific genre fighting for resources is kind of a thing. Um, so they want an alternative to spice. And what they came up with was a, a, a crystallized, I don't know, a crystallized resource called Tiberium. Now, the idea for Tiberium, the mineral around pretty much what all the gameplay is derived, was inspired by a science fiction B-movie called The Monolith Monsters. I had never heard of The Monolith Monsters before. Rob, you ever heard of The Monolith Monsters? I have not. No, not at all. So I, I looked it up. This is this is this was new to me. So the Monolith Monsters is a nineteen fifty seven black and white science fiction film that tells the story of a large meteorite that crashes into a southern California desert and explodes into hundreds of black frag fragments, all of which have strange properties. For example, there are some that when exposed to water, the fragments grow large and tall, which basically poses an absolute ecological nightmare to the region which threatens all of humanity because if they expose these to water these crystals keep growing if they grow over everything then the world as we know it ends and that's the premise behind the monolith monolith monsters but not all of the shards have the same thing so there's some that wouldn't do that when exposed to water that's i got i gathered that from the the witch i don't know i've never seen it i kind of got that mm. sense from the the description is that there were different frames that have different properties but the story the, the way the story plays out is that's that's the danger right they find that it grows and then it starts to grow over everything they're like holy crap like if this grows over everything we're not gonna be able to grow plants and food and so on and so forth and then they work to try to figure that out and and and, and defeat the monolith monsters Gotcha, gotcha. But I did get the sense that no, they didn't all have the same property. I could be wrong though. I don't hold me to that. Command and Conquer was basically inspired by the war that was surrounding everyone, and a war fought over a resource that was based on a science fiction movie. Right from the get go, this game had its name. Uh, Brett Sperry was absolutely fanatical about calling it Command and Conquer because he believed the title just was a very specific definition of the gameplay that he wanted. So, I mean, we never had a game that wasn't Command and Conquer through this process. And for all accounts, it was a, a, a great development process. Uh, there are numerous interviews with people that developed the game that said that they, they really enjoyed themselves. One developer later commented that it was so much fun that he would sometimes marvel at the fact that he actually got paid to do the work. Uh, many of the play testers echoed the sentiment. It was sometimes difficult to get the play test department to test. One of the developers would also comment. I would also, I would often find them staring or I would often find them starting a campaign to test one element of the game. And before you knew it, they got carried away and were playing the rest of the campaign for fun. In a way, this is a compliment to the game, so I wasn't terribly upset. I mean, hey, you know, it's pretty cool to, to love what you do and enjoy it that much. I agree. Um, so they designed this game with all this inspiration in mind. They worked on the storytelling. They took cues from the playtesters. You know, all, all the feedback they got was positive. There's another anecdotal. There's a dinosaur level in the game, and they tried to hide it from, like, people who are like like the uppers upper management that were playing the game but they stumbled across it 
and everyone liked it so they got to keep it in the game they got to work on the dinosaur the di- dinosaur story plot line kind of sort of wow that's cool yeah i mean like i said it was it was just a fun environment people people really enjoyed the environment um so they made it and it has a story to assist in the storytelling the team decided to create live action uh full motion video cutscenes for the game now they only were able to hire with their budget one professional actor that is joseph kukan the guy who plays kane who is the bad guy in this story all of the other actors were members of the westwood design and development team and every bit of these cutscenes were filmed either in spare rooms in their development studio or in local warehouses. They had no business doing this. None of these guys had ever done film. They had no clue about film. They had no clue what they were doing. And more than one person credits Joseph at, you know, the actor playing Kane with basically leading this, what they call a ragtag group of people who had no business in front of a camera to actually make a, reasonably good series of videos to tell the story so they made a story they made a game and they released it in september of 1995 now command and conquer is an interesting story you know like we had alluded to it is now rob you said you're pretty sure you played red alert right absolutely i played red alert because red alert is the soviets against like who is it soviets china united states it's countries you remember playing as countries yeah yep okay all right yeah it was red alert um command and conquer is also set in alternate history red alert is an alternate alternate history and then it gets split again for tiber the tiberium stuff tiberium sun is another alternate alternate history it's stupid they just keep they keep making these parallel timelines and going we're gonna try something different wow. so Panic campaign and conquer set an alternate history it starts with a meteor crashing near the river tiber in italy in 1995 hence tiberium um the meteorite brings you know an alien substance tiberium uh which they find at its impact site it can absorb and crystallize precious metals from the surrounding soil. Um, But it also like terraforms, like it changes its surroundings and it produces toxic gas and radiation that is, you know, fatal to humans and animals. So on one hand, if you can cultivate it, you get all these precious metals, but you have to be careful when you do it because it's absolutely toxic to people. Right? So there's this ancient society called the brotherhood of Nod. They, basically they're like a cult and their leader is a a messianic figure known as Cain. And he basically claims to have foreseen like how Tiberium is going to benefit mankind. And, you know, they decide that they want to harvest and refine the crystals uh, and do their own research research. And so they gain a, a, an army of followers worldwide. And then basically in, in contrast, the United Nations forms a multinational peacekeeping force called the Global Defense Initiative, which which was basically like NATO, I guess, in their alternate version of, of, of history. And they basically 
basically they go up against the Nod because the Nod is going and taking Tiberium from everywhere and doing what they consider to be terrorist activity in all these countries. Uh, and so the GDI was formed to to fight them. And so basically the whole game is the GDI and the Nod fighting in Africa and Europe for control of Tiberium. Essentially, that's the story. Well, that's a hell of a story. It's pretty. I, I, I like Command and Conquer. We'll get to that in a second. And and so basically, Command and Conquer is a real time strategy game. You develop bases. You gather resources. You use the resources to produce troops, and then you send the troops to d- defeat your enemies' troops and bases, capture their base, all that fun stuff. And Tiberium is your resource. You protect your Tiberium patches at all costs because they they give you the money that you need to make your own stuff is basically it so um yeah i will admit i i did play more red alert but i also played the original command and conquer and i played it again recently it's everything i remember it to be i loved these games i loved real-time strategy games i I played a lot of real-time strategy games. I was an armchair general, if there ever was one. And uh, this Command & Conquer always stuck out to me, whether or not it was the original Command & Conquer or it was Red Alert, because for me it was production value. Like, I, I know it sounds bad. Yes, the full-motion video cutscenes were cheesy, and they're worse as an adult. Oh my god, are they worse as an adult? But also, they're hilarious as as a result. Like, I don't know. I, I th- And the concept of an alternate history. I mean, let's be honest. People are suckers for alternate histories. Some of the most popular things like the man in High Castle and, uh, I don't know, Doctor Who plays around with alternate histories a lot. I mean, all these, all these things, you know, some big media franchises all play around with, you know, alternate histories. People just like to know, they love the concept of what could be. And Command and Conquer did that really well in a really simple game. This gameplay was really simple. You know, you protect and collect resources and you do that faster than your enemy and you send, you send, you know, your army after them and you beat them. It's really not more complicated than that. At least not this early in the in the franchise. You know what I mean? Uh yeah, no, I agree with you. So and and one of the best parts about Command and Conquer, when you bought Command and Conquer, you got two discs for it. They advertise the game as being for two people. Like you can beat on a friend with with the extra CD. So this game oh, was so it wasn't like expansion or continuation of the campaign. It was literally like two copies of the game. Yeah, yeah. You literally got two copies of the game, so you could play. You could play. I think Red Alert did that too. At least the first Red Alert. I'm pretty sure Red Alert Two is when they got rid of that. Um, but this early on in the franchise, they gave you two copies. So you could play multiplayer and that's a lot of the reason. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about this, you know, when we get to the legacy part, that's a lot of the reason why I think this game was so popular and why I loved it. Cause this is one of the earliest games I can remember playing with other people. Um, when multiplayer, you know, was PC multiplayer was 
non-existent at the time. You know what I mean? No, yeah, absolutely. At least two computers, multiplayer, land, land stuff. That that was that kind of stuff was virtually unheard of at this time. It didn't really become popular. It became popular through the mid to late nineties. That's when it took off. So yeah, that's when you would have the uh, land parties in the basement. Uh yes, sir. Sure did in the early two thousands into college. So, but yeah, I was um. I am a Command and Conquer fan. I always hope, hold the hope that they will make another in this franchise and that it will be good. I have zero issues with the remaster that I've played. It is Command and Conquer just in 4K, and that's fun. Um, you know, because I get to play the old game and it doesn't look like complete trash. I mean, it's dated, but it, you know not not because it's small and fuzzy um and it's still a lot of fun but i'm eagerly waiting for a new command and conquer i I think that'd be great anyways that's enough of of uh what i think about the game rob what did other people think about the game well dave as always we'll kick it off with our critic reviews and starting off we have chris hudak who wrote for GameSpot in may of 1996 that execution and detail are 90% of what makes a good game great. When your Command & Conquer Commando sprite unexpectedly shouts, Got a present for ya! Before slapping a wad of C4 to a SAM site, well, it kind of gives you a warm fuzzy feeling all over. Starting from the load screens and straight on till morning, Command Command & Conquer is one of the finest, most brilliantly designed computer games I have ever seen. Focusing on the global conflict between the fictional Global Defense Initiative and Brotherhood of Nod, Command & Conquer puts the player in complete charge of fast-paced, squad-level military operations utilizing a wide variety of troops, ground vehicles, base installations, airstrikes, and production facilities. Throwing in just enough full motion video to build the proper mindset between scenarios, Command & Conquer's main hook is its battlefield action. Real-time, command-based, and simultaneous. Thus, you may send a squad of grenadiers to take out an enemy airfield to stop the influx of reinforcements, and suddenly realize that as you're doing this, bazooka men have started bashing your one production facility. Of course, rerouting a group of tanks to deal with the bazooka menace turns out to be exactly what the enemy wanted you to do, and as 20 minigunners close on your undefended headquarters, you anxiously count the seconds to the next friendly airstrike that'll make everything nice again. The tension produced by so many multiple layers of real-time interaction is what computer gamers live for, and a number of different high-energy soundtracks keep adrenaline levels maxed out. Playing the entire conflict in the role of the other side makes for twice the gameplay value. And I don't even want to think about what's going to happen when the six-player networkable version comes out. Highly, highly recommended. I wonder what said six-player networkable version is. I wonder if it's they did that for the remaster. I didn't pay attention. I didn't try multiplayer. I know they reworked multiplayer in it, but I didn't really pay attention. But, um... Yes, well, that said. being written ninety six, Dave. I doubt it was about the oh, remaster. Oh, got it. That was written in ninety six. So mind. yeah, it, it's very possible that they had plans to do a networkable version. Maybe that's the start of the land. It started there, and 
They just had six people. They were able to do it through a connection on somehow. I don't know, like no, a network switch. No, they may re- remade this as gold. I, that's probably it, if my memory serves me correctly. But um, oh, cool beans. What else? Well, Dave, next we have Computer and Video Games, written in August of 95, who writes, It's a little gobsmacking, really. In this age of graphics-led titles, along comes Command & Conquer with its ripe, fat belly of playability, which you can't help but gorge yourself on. That's not to say that Command & Conquer's graphics aren't nifty, though. The sprites are well-defined, and there's massive cutouts which play as your campaign develops. This is truly a great game. If you like Dune 2, then Command & Conquer will be just your cup of post-apocalyptic tea and will keep you in warmongering frame of mind for months. But be warned, too much of this, and you'll be disemboweling little old ladies with your Swiss Army knife. I can't, you know, I guess the Command & Conquer made you want to do that. What, what do you say, Dave? Do you agree with that? Uh, no. Well, you must not have played enough of it then. I, I, I've i never felt the need to disembowel little old ladies. Well, there wasn't too much of it then, Dave. You must have played just the right amount. <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. And last up from our critic reviews... We have written in December of 95 by Computer Gaming World that the bottom line seems to be one of Origins. Virgin has upped this form to the graphic and multiplayer standards of today, but failed to rework basic engine enough to create an entirely new game. So if you thought gathering up money from the surface, building bases and exploring dark territory was stupid, it still is, and your dollars are probably best spent elsewhere. On the other hand, if you even remotely enjoyed Dune 2, Command & Conquer is the game for you. It is more than entertaining enough to make up for its shortcomings, and the two CDs contain nearly a hundred hours of missions for the average gamer. If nothing else, the entertainment factor is high enough, and the action fast enough to please all but the most jaded of warmongers. Sure. Yeah, we'll go with hundreds of hours of games. I mean, for you and another friend, maybe it could have been, you know, who knows? Depends on how quickly you got bored of it. Very true. Very, very true. Well, uh, very true. I get, I give you that much. But Dave, as always, we do want to get away from our critics and get on to the people who we like to listen to. The users. We, we do. We, we care what people think about. I mean, I do. I don't know about you. You might just be a cynical, jaded war gamer. Yeah, True statement. But to get on to the user reviews, at least for the people who enjoy this game, such as you supposedly do yourself, we're going to go to Doc Surge on Moby Games, who writes that the gameplay is a refinement of Dune 2, the building of a dynasty. You establish your base, build defenses for it, and ensure you have a supply of income through the collection of Tiberium. Command and Conquer established the standard gameplay elements that all later RTS were based on. The user interface was well done, with it being possible to create groupings of units that could easily be called and sent into battle. Unlike Warcraft, Command & Conquer did not counter the two sides with duplicated units, but had GDI and Nod forces possess unique units that countered each other. Infantry could be effective in groups against tanks, yet were vulnerable to artillery. Artillery was in turn vulnerable to tanks. An intricate rock-paper-scissors balance was crafted. The graphics were excellent, and the carnage that ensued from the battle was a delight to behold. 
infantry crawl on their stomachs to avoid being pulverized. Tanks smoke when damaged. The bases are all well-drawn and distinctive. Full motion video filmed top-notch actors to help set the scenes of the game. Most of the missions had clear goals. The music and sound is top-notch. The sound of the battles is loudest when your screen is centered on the action and is more muffled when you are away from the battles looking after your base or harvesters. But they didn't say that everything was good. They mentioned that the AI is weak, not mounting much of an assault, and has helped with some challenging base layouts. Basically, tackling a base requires a tactical hand, first of all disabling the defensive turrets, then throwing waves of armor at the enemy. It's not very skillful, but it is a lot of fun. At times, units reacted poorly to being attacked and not responding with returning fire, which was frustrating. But the bottom line for them was that Command and Conquer was the yardstick, undisputedly, by which all following real-time strategy games were measured by. They gave this game a 29 out of 30. 29 out of 30? I don't know why 30, but, you know, 29 out of that, it's pretty damn good. That's like a 97% or something. That's very true. I don't know why out of 30 either, so... To each their own, you know? Yeah, well, did everybody like this game? Well, Dave, as with everything in and all, there are always going to be those who don't like things. Yeah. And PC Gamer 77 on Moby Games definitely hated Command & Conquer. Oh? Yeah, they write that the videos were pretty well done, even if they were horribly cheesy. Also, the plot actually seems a lot better now than it did in 95. Replace the fictional terrorist Kane with the all-too-real Osama Bin Laden, and the whole thing starts sounding chillingly familiar. Command & Conquer also makes most other games, even of the astoundingly overrated RTS genre, look good. Finally, PC Gamer suspects the game satisfies some primal urge deep within the darkest part of our souls to buy crap games and then lie to other people about how cool they are. They say it was a massive mistake for us to label Command & Conquer as a real-time strategy game in the first place. First, it doesn't really seem to be in real-time, but accelerated time. In some ways, Command & Conquer's roots are in the video arcades. That opening beach landing sequence wants to be reminiscent of D-Day, but it really reminds them instead of 8-bit era action games like Commando and Guerrilla War. The difference being that they love those games, because they didn't pretend to be anything but shoot 'em ups Not so with Command & Conquer. Second, this game doesn't involve strategy in the traditional PC war game sense. If anything, it's more of a puzzle game, and an incredibly annoying one at that. It's much more like Lemmings, minus the charm, than Civilization, so strategy was just the wrong word to use. In fact, Command & Conquer was the perfect game for the 1990s, the decade of declining standards. <laughs> oh, shit. That's a that's a pretty big fire there. Yeah, it is. Strategy was still for war gamers and chess players in the 1980s. Thanks to Command & Conquer, even a drug-dealing juvenile delinquent who made straight Ds since junior high could consider himself a master of strategic thinking. And don't get PC gamers started on how buggy and broken the game feels. 
you'll grow old waiting for your units to actually start responding to your orders. They say they're sorry if they seem bitter. Did they mention that they really hate this game? I think they did. I think so too. And just for the record, PC Gamer doesn't hate all RTS games. Warcraft and Warcraft 2 are undeniably charming and addictive, if not particularly substantive. And they could make other exceptions. Command & Conquer just stands out as a tremendously disappointing game that influenced way too many of the shoddy titles that followed it. Yeah, I don't think a lot of shoddy titles followed it. I think I laid the groundwork for a lot of good games. But anyway, he may not have liked it, but Command & Conquer was a commercial hit. The original alone went on to sell over 3 million copies of the game. Like I already alluded to or mentioned or talked about, most of us think that's because of each game came with two copies. So there weren't a lot of games back then where you could play, uh, you know, against uh, against anyone. You could play a two-player game that wasn't split-screen. That was really the draw. I, I, I know that's really hard to understand nowadays because everything we play online, but when games started to go from split screen to where you could play on your own computer, that was kind of a, a mind blowing. Like it was the coolest flipping thing ever to be able to play against someone and not have to share a screen to do it. That's what I distinctly remember about this and being in awe of it as a multiplayer title. This was really the first real time strategy title to feature competitive online play, you know, and it laid the genre for, it laid the groundwork for future competitive uh, RTS titles like StarCraft, which, of course, laid the groundwork for eSports. That was your first really substantial eSport. I'm sure someone's going to fight me on that one, and I'm wrong now that I think about it. But yeah, a lot of people chalk up the success of Command & Conquer to the multiplayer. I mean, it was just a fun, campy game with the storyline and the stupid videos and just solid gameplay. I mean, it really laid the groundwork for a whole series. Rob, you, you said that you play Red Alert, right? I definitely did play Red Alert or Red Alert 2. Um, I think I played both of them, but I know I played a game of Red Alert. Have you played any of the later ones, like 3 or 4? No, I did not play any of the other ones. It was just Red Alert because that's what Dad had laying around. And uh, other than that, I just got into other RTSs. Like, I mean, Halo Wars is probably my biggest one. It's yeah. Or Enwar. Enwar was a really good one, too. Yeah, you love Enwar. Oh, I mean, it was just, I could talk to the units, man. I felt like a real general just sitting there. Unit 1, attack Bravo. Like, that. that's just so cool. Instead of being like, click and drag and go over there, like, I could just say it, and they were like, Roger, Roger. And I was like, dude, that's dope. Well, not even, this would have been, we had Command and & Conquer, and we also had Age of Empires. I think that was 95, too. And Warcraft would have been 94 and 95. So, I mean, right here, the real-time strategy genre just fucking exploded at once. Because those are all, you know, substantial series in the genre. Even though Warcraft is not known for real-time strategy in any way, shape, or form anymore. It started out as a real-time strategy game with orcs and humans. So, we'll have to do that someday. I haven't gotten to talk about Warcraft or Starcraft. I think I have a Starcraft episode scheduled for next year, but I'll have to look at Warcraft too. I think that'd be fun. Um, Command & Conquer as a series has uh, has sold about uh, somewhere over 30. I mean, the last numbers I could see for the series was like 2009 or 2010. So a decade ago, 
they had already sold over 30 million copies. Lord knows what they're at nowadays. There have been numerous expansions to the games. I kind of consider them their own title. Um, you know, between the expansions, the collections, and all the all the all the main series in the franchise, there have been about 25 different releases in the Command and Conquer franchise over the years. Of course, the latest was the remastered collection I was talking about playing. They remastered a bunch of this old stuff and they released it in 2020. You can find it on Steam or other networks, uh, but if you are a EA Play or Game Pass subscriber, it is available for you to download as part of your subscription on there. Go get it. We've had Command and Conquer in the series. We've had Red Alerts. There have been three Red Alerts. Then we got Tiberian Sun. We got Yuri's Revenge. We got Generals. Command and Conquer 3 was called the Tiberian Wars. Command and Conquer 4 was called Tiberian Twilight. Command and Conquer 3 is almost all co-op, which was pretty cool. Um, the, co- the campaign, the story campaign that these games are really well known for. They, they they went into the realm where you, you can you play it, it's designed as co-op if you don't play it with another human you play it with an AI um, and so that was pretty cool I'm all for co-op stuff to be honest with you I I don't have a competitive streak in me that much they tried to bring it to mobile God I don't even know how many years ago it was called command and conquer rivals it was not my cup of tea and then Rob they actually made one first person shooter. In the Command and Conquer universe. I was actually not aware of that. Uh, it was released in 2002. Uh, it was a first and third person shooter. So, I mean, I'm a little bit wrong. Uh, it was called Command and Conquer Renegade. And you were a commando who um, had to rescue. You were a GDI commando and you were tasked with rescuing research specialists that had been abducted by the Nod, by the bad guys. And if you do want to try it, there's actually a free, and I mean free, uh, fan-made remake of this game called Renegade X. It's easily found online. I'll put a link to it in the show notes on www.memorycardlane.com. So you can you can go and play it. It looks like a first-person shooter set in this unit. I actually think it looks pretty cool. I'd never heard of it either. And I went and I looked at, at the uh, trailer. And it looks like a, a, a halfway decent first-person shooter set in this universe. Almost as if like they took Halo and dropped it in Command & Conquer world. So, it, or Battlefield. Let's say Battlefield, because there are tanks. They included all the tanks and weird units that you could play in Command & Conquer. They included those as drivable vehicles in Red Gate X. So I'd say it's more like Battlefield in the Command & Conquer universe, which is kind of cool. That does sound pretty awesome. And then the studio that made Renegade X made a made their own first person shooter that's like a spiritual successor to all that. This seems kind of cool. I forgot what it's called. It's on their website. So, so yeah, Command and Conquer has lived on thirty million copies. You know, the last one was a remaster two years ago. I'm sure at some point we'll see another Command and Conquer. The I, you know, these things go in cycles, let's be honest about it. And right now, real-time strategy is just not a genre that's very popular. If that ever swings around, you will see Command & Conquer again, because whenever genres come around, you always lean to the the notable names and at the granddaddies of it. Command & Conquer is definitely a granddaddy, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So, 
Yeah. So Command and Conquer's series lived on. Let's, let's talk about what everyone else has done. Uh, Westwood Studios. Westwood Studios, you know, in 92, a few years before Command and Conquer was released, uh, the studio was sold to Virgin Games. Um, so, you know, well... The studio was m- being successful, making all these commercial hits like Eye of the Beholder and Legend of Corandia and Command and Conquer. In the midst of all that, they sold themselves to Virgin Games, the, you know, who was a pub- big publisher. In 1998, Westwood was sold off by Virgin and Electronic Arts bought them. Pretty cool little statistic uh, that I read pertaining to this purchase. Uh, when Electronic Arts purchased westwood studios from virgin westwood was estimated to have a a five to six percent share of the pc market not too shabby for a single studio to own five percent of the pc market and sales i'm sure the big ones do that nowadays but back then that was really impressive and like we talked about they kept making command and conquer games yuri's revenge generals three four they kept doing it and realistically none of the command and conquer games have been a real commercial success probably since red alert two or three i don't think any of the tiberian stuff really took off yuri's revenge was a attempt to go back to it in generals i mean none of none of it really none of it really so so the series kind of fell out of favor and you know if your games aren't making money you don't want to make the games so ea decided to close westwood studios in 2003 and some people left, and those that didn't leave were merged into EA Los Angeles. EA Los Angeles was also known as Danger Close Games. Danger Close Games were the ones that, after this merge, kept making Command and Conquer, like, you know, 3 and 4. And otherwise, they made the Medal of Honor series, which we've talked about in a previous episode. We've talked about EA LA in the Medal of Honor episode. And EA LA also made Boom Blocks for the Wii. Boombox was a Wii game, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, sure. I, I actually have no idea. You don't remember Boombox? I didn't play it, so I remember the name, but, like, not what console it was for or anything. If I remember correctly, Boombox was a Wii title made by Steven Spielberg, which was something weird. But Medal of Honor was also originally Steven Spielberg. That's why they're all tied together. But again, we covered that in our Medal of Honor episode we did a while back. Some of the employees who left Westwood when it closed formed a company called Petroglyph Games. Petroglyph Games made um, Star Wars Empire at War, which was a Star Wars RTS that I love. I think it's fantastic. Uh, Huge Star Wars space battles with big battle cruisers and little X-Wings in an RTS format awesome i have i still own my copy in a box they made a game called gray goo they made the 8-bit army series there are like three or four games in the 8-bit series 8-bit armies and 8-bit i don't even know any of the others to be honest with you Um, and then petroglyph also were the ones who developed the command and conquer remastered collection so people that left westwood are still making command and conquer even after its studio was sucked into the electronic arts universe never to be let out ever again rob never again never again well we'll just have to see if that's true dave but let's be honest you know we'll talk about dune when we get to that episode in a month 
a month and a half or so. And um, Dune may have created the genre, but Command and Conquer popularized it. You know, we've, we've talked about so many other games that were like that. Doom didn't create first-person shooters, but it definitely popularized it. You know, Civilization, The Sims. There are so many games that didn't create their genres, but they're definitely the games that brought it to the masses. And they gave it all the gave the genre all the notoriety that it needed for future games to um, for future games to be successful in that genre. Command and Conquer definitely brought real time strategy games to the mainstream. They brought it with their multiplayer. They brought it with really cheesy videos that I love that appeal to the masses. They're just awesome. And every game that followed Red Alert is a better game. Um, Dune may have, you know, Command and Conquer may have improved on Dune, but Command and Conquer Red Alert improved on Command and Conquer. And that was just a trend that continued until, you know, until the genre wasn't that popular anymore. I mean, let's be fair, even like Generals, which was, you know, our three, which has those co-op campaigns, that's still innovation in a genre. Just those genres aren't in favor anymore. People are are now choosing to play like first person shooters instead of real time strategies, you know? Very true. I don't know why we don't play real time strategy probably because every time we play a real time strategy game it's like a five or you know seven hour session and people just don't have those attention spans anymore yeah no definitely not uh it's definitely harder to get people to play for that for a long period of time and it seems usually that's how it goes for at least the the, the fun games yeah um, or you just get people who cry because they get beat too early very true but a lot of a lot of great games, a lot of great games, you know, related to this and related to that. Well, you know, if you want to learn more about it, you can go to our website. Also there you can find um, a calendar if you want to check out when we're going to actually do Dune. I think it's the first week of December, but go to our website at www.memorycardlane.com and check uh, the little button that says calendar. It'll show you what games we do when. You can see exactly what day that we're going to do Dune. You can see the links if you want to check out that fan-made remake of the one first-person shooter in the Command & Conquer universe called Renegade. The remake's called Renegade X. I'll post a link to that on the show notes uh, episode details on our website. Again, that's www.memorycardlane.com. You can also find a link to our Discord and there's links to our social media. I'm found on various platforms as David is wrong. And Rob, where can people find you these days? I am on twitch.tv forward slash fat boy with an I rips with a Z. Fat boy rips. Fat boy rips. All right. Well, each week we try to tell you the story about a game relevant to the current week in gaming history. Either the game or the people who created the game. And... When we tell you the story, we want to teach you something new about the game, new about the people, what the people may have taken from the world as their inspiration for the game, or what perhaps the game gave back to the world as its legacy. A little bit of everything in today. One of the most beautiful things about getting to bring these stories to you, to you each week is as we teach you, we learn. I mean, there are things that I have no clue on when I dive into these games each week, and it is a pleasure getting to learn about them alongside you. I'm very thankful for it. As part of our commitment to teaching you each week and acknowledging that we learn too, we like to go round table and tell you what we enjoyed the most. So Rob, what did you learn this week? Well, Dave, I think that the most interesting thing is learning that Tiberium came from a 1957 horror film. Well, I guess I know it was horror, but you know, sci-fi. 
sci-fi. Yeah, that's it's pretty interesting to know that uh, it wasn't just something they made up out of the blue, but actually credited to something that was at the time forty years its senior. Well, it's a combination of spice and that movie, realistically. Yeah. Spice, of course, being this the the um, resource that everyone's fighting for on the Dune on the planet Dune. They, you know, they they took those two concepts, they merged them together, and you get the Crystal Tiberium. So I agree with you. I think that's I think that's very cool. And admittedly, that's my big takeaway too. I I had no clue where Tiberium came from. I had no clue they originally intended this to be a fantasy game. I, I'm really fascinated by the prospect of what ifs. And the thought of them coming out with a fantasy game and competing with competing with Warcraft would be very interesting. Of course, Warcraft is not so much of a resource centric game as this are. They're two different takes on the real time strategy genre. They do the same thing, but they go about it differently. Of course, in Warcraft, you chop down wood in this one. You fight for precious metals. So. Wood, yeah. metal, it's all the same. It really is. It's just fighting for things that belong to the people on the earth and eventually end up in the hands of few. And that's capitalism, my friends. And the flipping world we live in nowadays, it's a travesty. Indeed it is. Seize the power. Seize the modes of production. Take your planet back if you're listening. And now the police are going to be coming for me. So it's nice to know you all. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, Rob. Well, before I take it out of here, is there anything you'd like to add to today's episode? Well, Dave, as always, I do just want to take a quick moment to say thank you so much to everyone for listening. It means the world to us. We'd be doing this whether or not you're listening, but it's nice knowing that some people out there get some enjoyment out of hearing Dave talk a lot and Rob a little. So thank you. I do talk a lot. I do talk a lot. I'm losing my voice, so I, I, I need to stop talking. So I'm going to take you out of here. Next week, Rob, we're going to take a look at the very last handheld console ever released by Sega. And it's not the Game Gear like everyone would expect. Created as a portable version of the Sega Genesis home console, the Sega Nomad was released to the world in October of 1995. Now, the Nomad played Sega Genesis titles. It played the entire Genesis library, which when it released was over 500 games. And the Nomad has some features that you wouldn't expect in a mid-90s handheld console, like the ability to connect it to a TV, which is kind of cool. Next week, we're going to take a good hard look at the Nomad, where it came from, how how it was made, and honestly, why you've probably never heard of it. Uh, So stick around and join us as we go portable on next week's trip down memory card lane to the thing. Scooby-Doo-Bop-Dop-Bop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop-Dop